everyone, it's Becky. Um, on this episode of Buzzing About Romance, we are handing our hosting duties over to Duchess Katie and Lady Sadie for a special Corset and Crown edition of the podcast. Corset and Crown is the historical portion of the podcast, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome to Corset and Crown Drawing Room Edition. This is Lady Sadie and Duchess Katie, and we are here today with the absolute legend that is Eloisa James. You might know her from her beloved stories such as A Duke of Her Own, or the recent series The Wilds of Windlow Castle, or even some of her anthologies such as A Lady Most Willing, or the brand new Mistletoe Christmas. Welcome, Eloisa. Thank you. Since you guys are a lady and a duchess, that means I'm a countess, right? Oh, yes. absolutely. Yeah, Countess minimum. Eloisa, At minimum. Thank you very much. Yes. Henceforth, Countess Eloisa. Oh, Countess Eloisa. <laughs> yeah, but... we, we all need crowns. We got to get on that. <laughs> I'm saying. So um, before we, you know, get into the interview portion of it, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself before we, before we do our deep dive? Okay. Well, um, so... I've been writing romance for, I think, as long as these guys are alive, basically. <laughs> and I, um, let's see, I'm a Shakespeare professor. I'm actually chair of the English department at Fordham University right now. So if you've seen Netflix, the chair, that is my current reality, I have to say. <laughs> so oh my, <laughs> um, my husband is a chair too. He's a chair of Italian. We were watching it and just screaming with laughter because it's quite true to life. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I have this book out, which is fun. It was written with four of my friends, three of my friends. We're all four friends, which is a wonderful way to write a book together. And um, so that's about all I can think of at the moment. I spent the, <laughs> I mean, it's been a long day. Yeah, <laughs> imagine. Yeah, it's just you know, it, sometimes it's good having two lives. Like it's really nice having an academic life. I'm Professor Bly. You know, I'm teaching Shakespeare and pop culture right now, and my student, yeah, I have 35 students in a classroom, and we have these fascinating talks about Romeo and Juliet or Dire Straits or you know whatever. And then on my other side, I have Eloisa. It's just when the two of them crash together, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Hectic, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. That's crazy. One of our traditional questions around here that I just love to hear the answer to is what was your first romance novel? Oh, well, that was The Flame and the Flower by Kathleen Widowis. And I still don't know, it was being passed around in choir practice, right? Um, in in school, not in church. <laughs> With certain names, certain pages marked down, right? So, you know, unsuspecting people like myself, the age of 13 or maybe 14, I don't know, it made it to me and I was reading it and thinking, what's going on? And then... <laughs> I mean, I really was quite naive. And then I remember being on the school bus the next day and I was staring at the back of the school bus driver's head and, and I suddenly figured out what oral sex was. Oh my so, God. <laughs> what a time to have to pick that. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's what they were doing. But you know, it was eight o'clock in the morning. I'm on the school bus, but I've never forgotten it. It was one of those moments that stick with you for your entire a life. A pivotal moment for... Sure. Pivotal moment for, yeah, for little young me. For, oh my gosh, that's crazy. It's, it's funny. Well, it's not funny, I guess. It's, it seems like a lot of folks cut their teeth on that particular Widowist novel. 
That one so. has come up a lot. Mm -hmm. I think they sold like 17 trillion copies. I mean, they literally, it was bought by like almost every woman in America. There was nothing like it had ever come out before. And so- I feel like I got to get a hold of this book. Oh, I wouldn't. I, I had, <laughs> the New York Times wrote me this, the New York Times asked me, it's about 10 years ago now. And they said, can you please write us a, um, an op-ed about why we shouldn't use the term body stripper anymore? And we thought you might refer to this book. And I went back and read the book and I was like, oh, <laughs> it was written. I mean, as far as I could tell, it was written right when, you know, the pill had come in. So I'm not exactly sure what the year was, but, but the pill had come in and women were, you know, free to express themselves sexually in different ways. Mm -hmm. And I think that that strain of bodice strippers right in there was a response to, okay, I could go have sex with all these people, but um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. You better tie me down. I'm not sure I'm going to like it. I don't want this level of freedom. It seemed like there was a tension there. Oh, so okay. I didn't put that in my New York Times op-ed, but that's what I thought reading it was. It had not aged well. That's the other thing that I've heard people saying that that's where they start. And then they're like, I would not recommend revisiting if you've read yeah. it. No, I, th I think it really was like, Oh, I'm supposed to have so much fun. I'm not sure about that. No. I think if you know that going in, you know, you can temper your expectations, I guess, a little bit of, to, you know, what to expect. But even still, you know, it's not, it's not like what we're reading today, you know, from authors like you and Julia Quinn and Sarah McLean, you know, there's, there's so much that has changed in the genre and it, you know, it, it's a product of the times. So I think romance always is, honestly. It's, oh, yeah. it's, what, it's the genre that's most on the ground. Like one of the things that I always think of is after Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, there were all these romances that came out about women who could control the weather. That was like the new thing in paranormal. And, it, you know, it was like within six months because romance writers are right there. So the way mm -hmm. that I'm writing or the way that Lisa Kleypas or, you know, the way that Julie wrote, I mean, Bridgerton, you know, the first Bridgerton is a perfect example because she came and talked to um, my students at Fordham and, you know, they asked about the, the, you know, the scene, right? The, the consent <laughs> scene. Yeah. The, said, guys, the fascinating thing is that was a wildly feminist scene when it came out. And I got letters from all over America saying, thank God she took control. She showed him. She did it. So what was a feminist scene is now inappropriate, but it just changes with where we are. Exactly. Yeah. It was perfect at the time. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that, I mean, and that's something that she's addressed repeatedly, you know? Yeah. That's too, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so that Excuse really me. leads us to our next question, which is, so what do you, uh, think the trends of and growth within the romance genre you say it's really on the ground it's very of the time uh, so what do you hope to see it do or what do you enjoy watching happen to the genre that you are such a force in well I mean right at the moment I think there's two forces coming together right so there's like me too and the consent movement which is really important has changed the way all of us write um, you know like were I so inclined to write a fun kidnapping scene? I don't think the fun kidnapping scene is going to work anymore. <laughs> like I, you know, I think pirates are right on the edge of not working. Probably. I haven't tried one in a long time, but um, at the same time, we're in a quarantine still in the middle of a pandemic. And I think 
people are looking for happiness and escape. I think that um, a lot of the romances that I certainly have had a lot of near death experiences. I mean, I love a good near death. You know, there he is lying on the deathbed, and she's like, "Oh my god!" And then he, you know, his finger moves, and he's alive. And so, <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, but it ends better. Those are not. I don't feel like I want to read those right at the moment. I always go with what I want to read, mm-hmm. um, and I, I don't feel. I feel like I just want to laugh. So I'll just bring up. Of course, romance is such a capacious genre right it's very sex positive mm-hmm. um and has been you know even with woodowis that was very sex positive for for that time like that was saying hey women can have desire it's true that someone had to you know kind of rip open their bodice to get there but for that time it was amazing because women weren't supposed to be like having orgasms you know yeah pop culture. I mean that, so, yeah. so but now one thing that i've loved recently is like i i really got into tiktok I like TikTok. And um, I love your TikToks. Yeah. <laughs> I love TikTok. So I have picked up so many books on TikTok, right? Because the the book TikToks are really interesting. And they they're, you know, I love them on Instagram too, but on Instagram it's a bit more like somebody sent me this book. Look, somebody sent me these books. I'm, you know, I'm gonna put some shells on it. Look how nice it is. Whereas in TikTok, I find myself picking up these really weird books that are really fun. So I'll just tell you the subgenre that I'm enjoying right now is this whole sort of monster subgenre. So um, <laughs> exactly Morning Glory Farm. But let me also point out that insecticide one that's so wonderful. I mean, I never thought this here. Did you read the one about the hero? Who's no. Wait, uh, the Avita Vice one where he's like a mothman? No, I haven't read the mothman, but I read about that one. I got to read that one too. Um, <laughs> no, this one, he's, he's an insect. Like he's got, you know, shell and the whole thing. Where is it? Um, but it's actually fantastic. Wait, I think I've got shelves on my nook and I think I put it into my favorites. So let me have a second here. Um, maybe I put it into sci-fi. I have too many shelves at this point. <laughs> but I'm okay really fascinated by this subgenre in monster because I do think that in some way it responds to our sort of um, the emphasis right now and everyone being really PC. And that's good, but you know what? Fantasies don't always follow the way that we want true life to go. I mean, I, you know, young women certainly don't want some guy, you know, groping them or anything like that. They want to, um, here it is. It's called Strange Love. Oh, by it? Anna Guire. Yeah. I, it's, yeah. On my, it's on my TBR. Oh my God, you've got to read it. It's so <laughs> I'm going to yeah, add it I'll to mine show now everybody too. the picture so you can see. He is an insect yeah. with an armor, but here's the twist on it. He's a beta insect. He's not an alpha. It is the most <laughs> fascinating thing. She is so creative. I, and, and I got to say that Morning Glory Milking Farm, I mean, you know, there's a lot of adulation of the penis and so on going on, but he's no alpha either, really. You know, he's like, oh, yes, I'm still wearing my wife's. He's got a ring in his nose and yes. he's got his polished talks and he's going off to get a... A, a latte and he's not like he's, he's no stern brunch daddy yeah yeah it's like dad porn there <laughs> right and this this anagree that's that's a beta insecticide alien so i love the way these these monster aliens or some of the ones i've been reading them have been kind of blending together what we want to see which is you know utter respect and 
and we'd like them to have a lot of money too, although this guy does not, the insecticide guy. Um, but, but also have these sort of expressing how alien in some way men are to us, to women, as women, right? So this sort of alien alphaness that's, that's kind of tamed by, by their inherent beta traits. I don't know, I was looking on Amazon the other day and there's a tentacle guy <laughs> seen him there's a tentacle the cracking one? I, didn't, I didn't buy it I'm, I'm thinking about it but I don't I don't know it sounds a little too weird and like really weird porn but um <laughs> I'm thinking about it she's so, she's toying with the idea over here <laughs> toying with the idea whether I can take it you know there were pints in morning glory farm so did you read it or you're about to start it oh no I've read <laughs> it I'm part of her patreon and uh so I, this, I get her print copies that are signed and there's these wild artworks that come with it. Yeah. Um, but uh, she and I sort of connected on Instagram and I think she's just really fun and interesting. And like, I accidentally read it. I, I'm a teacher, so I was teaching high school partially remotely for like the last three years. Yeah. So I was like, sure, let's start reading about monsters. Why not? <laughs> and so... Um, but then I saw your TikTok about it and I was like, this is, this is so amazing and so wild. Well, I have got it. I mean, I didn't realize she was on Patreon. I follow a bunch of people on Patreon, so I'm totally going to add her. I, I think <laughs> the, the next one sounded like fun. It sounded a little less sort of phallic oriented. Yeah. Um, with some other monsters coming up next that sounded fun, you know. But you notice that Anna Guiri, she like the one she's got out right now is a witch. And that's another huge subgenre that I'm seeing a lot of. Like, um, I don't know, we should I should probably mention mistletoe Christmas or my my um my people here will get cross at me, but I mean, my fellow <laughs> authors, we will, right? I promise. Wait, don't worry, uh, I have made sure there's questions about that too. <laughs> let me just share for a minute my favorite witch series at the moment, because these are the best. Um, they are by Juliet Cross. Oh, uh, I yes. haven't picked those up yet. Oh my God, you got to get them. They're so fun. They're fun because witches can be really terrific. Like it's got to be a really subtle blend. Like there's got to be some romance and then there's got to be original. And then it's got to have the kind of snarky witch humor that's kind of a, a sub layer of urban fantasy. You know, like urban oh, yeah. fantasy girl is tougher and she's got more of an edge. The witch can be more, more feminine and, and she's got witch magic and, you know, she's funnier. And I think Juliet Cross does it brilliantly. So I'm totally looking forward. She's got a Christmas one coming out pretty soon. Like, I heard about that. I heard about that. I had me very curious about that one too. So, <laughs> Well, it's about to be spooky season. So yeah. I'm definitely all into the spookiness now. Yeah. Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. So can we talk a little bit more about your books and who are <laughs> your hardest characters to write? Who are your favorite characters or tropes to write? What are ones that you try to sort of steer clear of? Well, you know, at this point, I've written like practically every trope there is. Mm -hmm. they, they can That's be hard, but they have to work for me, right? So yeah. um, so I, ha I did try to do a kidnapping about it was in seven minutes in heaven and I realized it was making me uncomfortable. So he like stops the car and he's like, do you mind if I kidnap you for the weekend and take you to my country house? And she's like, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> you know, so, 
<laughs> so proper kidnapping didn't work. For, you have to make them work for you. If a trope doesn't work for you, then it's going to fail. And that's something I, I'm always telling beginning writers when I get in front of them that you can't just pick it up. Like you can't, like I can't do a witch. I would like to, but I don't have the right imagination for a witch. Or that's far as that goes, I don't have it for a monster either. <laughs> I, I like guys. Minotaurs so, in your future. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I am doing a, a really fun new series because I, I did the wilds and I think I might do a few more wilds later, but I decided six wilds for the moment is enough. So I'm writing this series because I've had all these friends who've written wallflowers. Lisa Kleypas is one of my best friends and, and Julia and I are really close. And, um, and I thought I want to do, I want to reverse it, right? Because that's a fun thing to do with the trope is take a yes. trope and it inside out. So my three wallflowers all want to be wallflowers. So the first one's called the reluctant wallflower. First one is um, how to be a wallflower. And then the reluctant one, they want to be wallflowers, but it doesn't work out that way. They do not succeed in being wallflowers <laughs> for one reason or another. So, so I'm having a lot of fun with that because I, I have... Um, I decided I wanted to write an American hero for the first time that's coming out in How to Be a Wallflower because I've never written one. And so he's very rough and ready and, you know, he's American and he, he's been out fur trapping. He made his first fortune in fur trapping. And there's a great, my favorite scene in the whole book is when, this isn't really wrecking anything, but she thinks he's going to give her a ring. And, you know, he actually gets down on his knee and he's got like the box and everything but it's actually a bear claw that is polished and, and woven into silver with emerald studded in it. And um, she's like, this? No, that's amazing. <laughs> no, it's fun. It was so much fun. Cause I, I can't do wait to read like, this. Yeah. We want to read funny things right now. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't want big drama at the moment. I'm too tired. This quarantine is very tiring. I mean, I'm not in quarantine anymore, but you know, it's nerve wracking getting out there. I, I just yeah. went to my first concert, which was wonderful. You know, it was, it was fantastic. Like you had to show vaccination certificate to get in. And, but then it was such a wonderful feeling and every, you know, every chair was filled and, but it was nerve wracking. Oh yeah. I had three cocktails and <laughs> trying to like <laughs> calm myself down enough to stay there. You know, have you guys been out and done things like that? Like social stuff? I mean, yeah, I live in I rural went... Vermont. Being social isn't the thing we do anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I finally got to see all my best friends after two years. Um, we always had like an annual trip and we went to Scottsdale. It wasn't super out and about, but we all flew together, stayed at a house together and went out to dinner and did shopping nice. and stuff. It was just kind of like, we like crept back out and yeah. slowly into society. And it, yeah. I mean, it felt amazing to to do that because I was like this shouldn't feel foreign but it does now so it's scary I I just think we're we're all a little um exhausted oh yeah and so when we lie down on the couch you know when you finish your day like I go into the office now and then I spend most of my day on zoom anyway so that's annoying come home and I'm zoomed out and then I just lie on the couch and I want to read you know I want to read about a minotaur or just something <laughs> a witch I I mean, I've been reading some amazing contemporaries. I just went through all of Talia Hibbert's books. Oh, like, oh, I'm a Talia Hibbert expert right here. I've read every single one. So, you know, then I'm just reading a lot. But Which I think is I great got too. off. I don't know what I was supposed to be talking about. But anyway, well, well, that um, How to Be a Wallflower, I concentrated on being funny. And I think that's 
the way to go. The reluctant wildflower is the same thing. She's um, her mother was one of Napoleon's mistresses. And Ooh. so she's got this big estate and the very uptight Earl who's completely fascinated with, there's no way he can marry her. There's no way <laughs> he can marry her. So that's fun. It's just that's, delightful. That's exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to that series for sure. Um, so kind of what we had talked about a little bit, you know, with the trends in the romance genre and, you know, what we're looking for. Have you, you know, do you have any kind of response that you like to, to give to people when they're either necessarily looking down not on your work, but like as romance in like as a whole, as a genre, like, is there anything that you, that you like to say to people when they're like, romance, isn't that like you were saying, like bodice strippers yeah. only and that kind of thing. <clears throat> you know, I fought that fight for years uh, and I kind of quit fighting it lately. Engaging. It, it doesn't happen very much, um, but but I'll, I'll tell you, I just discovered, for example, that one of the people at Fordham University had been stripping my books off of the published faculty novel list, the, you know, the published books, because as he carefully explained to me, genre fiction is imitative, it's not creative writing. And I, you know, there's a point at which you, you just think, I have fought this battle for a long time. Mm-hmm. I've got to try to turn it over to some younger women. There's some amazing feminists doing incredible work. And I, I think, you know, the, the atmosphere is totally changing. I think mm-hmm. Bridgerton I don't know if you guys saw this, but there, the, I guess the guy who owns Netflix or whatever runs it went on an interview and said, there's nothing like Bridgerton. Like there's nothing with the billions of people yeah. who watch it. Um, so I feel that that is changing people's perception of the genre just because so many people say to me, oh, they're, they're really cute. They say things like, why don't you give your books to Netflix? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay. Why don't I just do that? <laughs> isn't but, that how it works you just send them a book and then suddenly why, you get why haven't show. i told them to do it <laughs> i wish everybody's books could be made into that book Countess series Eloisa, like that. please get on this <laughs> yeah. i vote for but, I mean, that show is like a different attitude right and as yeah. before they might have been like oh romance now they're like oh well actually i watch bridgerton you know yeah so. which is great i think that's i think it's so nice to see that you know i like when i went to Arizona with my girlfriends most of them did not know how into romance I was and they were all like okay well what do we read and I was like seriously and they're like heck yeah tell me what to read and I'm like oh boy you all have just, <laughs> oh, you've released the beast I will tell you everything that you need to read. they all were familiar with Bridgerton and they were like you read right. those books and I said yeah right. I do yeah <laughs> yeah want to find I, out what happens after Bridgerton season one come to me <laughs> yeah <laughs> Or all Why the do other you know? Options? Oh, because I mean, because you <laughs> read the books. books. I thought maybe you were like in the writing room or something. I was oh, like, man. that would be so <laughs> cool. Yeah, <laughs> and I noticed on Instagram that Julia is over there. I I meant to text her or something and find out if she's over there. If she's going to visit the set. The, you know, the set. Um, I would love. Yeah, and I'm I'm so curious because we had to wait for so long for season one of that because of COVID and everything. So it was just like it seemed like they were very willing to share things with us. Because they were like, they know how desperately we wanted to see things. And it was taking longer than they had anticipated. So, yeah. (laughs) So, can you tell us about your new release, Mistletoe Christmas? Sure. 
So here is Mistletoe Christmas. And it, what happened is that I, um, these guys are all my friends and Christy Caldwell and I were down at lunch in the village outside, actually. This is before the pandemic though. And we just had this idea. What if we, cause we're so used to writing Regencies, which are all stories where there's all these limitations that one men and women can do together, especially mm -hmm. young, all the rules and all the manners and so on. We had the idea for this crazy Christmas house party where the rules are suspended, right? Where if you were a mother whose daughter had not taken, you might take her to this party because you don't know what's going to happen. And we, and then, you know, it's sort of, it sort of changed. We, we got together with Jana and Erica and, you know, we all pitched in ideas and, and the, the host of the entire party buys a few wedding, um, you know, marriage certificates yeah. every year because, you know, this is going to end up in marriages, mm -hmm. but it, it was this idea of a Bacchanalian place where everything's suspended. So my heroine, um, I, I really like my heroine, Cressida. And I, I will tell you that after I finished, I thought this is a mistake. I should have made this into a novel. But of course, by then I couldn't because I was tied in with my friends here. But yeah, <laughs> but it is. I thought that about one other short story I've written that it, it should have been a novel. So, I mean, I think it's one of my best ones. It's just got that um, really nice balance between my heroine is uh, wildly creative and undervalued. And so... I don't know if you guys got a chance to, did you get a chance We to? did, we, oh, we okay. have. Okay. I, yeah, I and I loved Cressy. I loved Cressy, so I couldn't wait to hear about her. Yes. Well, I mean, I just wanted that undervalued and then the most gorgeous French guy in the world. Yeah. has been there for years and has never noticed her, walks in and suddenly notices her. And there's this great scene, one of my favorite scenes in there is when he, she takes him out to show him this amazing, you know, this, the snow grotto that she builds mm -hmm. every year. And he's like, well, I'd like you to marry me. And then she's like, are you kidding me? And she's just yeah. like, no, and sails Get out, out of there. here. Yeah. Yeah. It was the revenge of everyone who was ever overlooked. So, and everyone who's wildly creative, whose creativity is not noticed because she's the woman and the guy is taking all the credit for it. And Lord knows mm -hmm. that happens all the time. So so um, I just, it was, it was a lot of fun to write. And I will say that I think that all of us, I was lucky because I got the story sent to me first. So I got to read all of them and, you know, make suggestions. And then um, Jana and Erica absolutely tore my story to shreds in the original editing round, but we all are <laughs> each other's, but they're all, they all sort of did that, you know? So Erica has, you know, the guy who's the gossip, who's supposedly the poet, but actually the gossip columnist and, you know, we suspended the rules. Everyone's book suspended the rules somehow. So Jana, for example, turned over the idea of the enforced marriage by having them be essentially separated and then forced into the same bed. So, you know, there were these bargains being, being made, made. during mm -hmm. the revelry that would never happen anywhere else. So it was, which fun. I think is just so unique, especially with like a Christmas, you know, the, like, the holiday setting around it, you know, because yeah. everyone, you know, it's always just supposed to be merry and happy and easy peasy. And it's like, no, there's a lot happening behind the scenes and everything yeah. like that. And I mean, yeah. I, that's, that was something I really loved about Cressy is because she was so, you know, she was so undervalued, <clears throat> excuse me, but, um, she started to finally like see her brilliance through somebody else's mm -hmm. eyes because for her it was just like what she did you know yeah. it was just that was life for her and then she starts 
acknowledging her brilliance, which I was just like, yes, yes, queen. Oh, we love to see it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I mean, I, I just in a life of teaching young women undergraduates, I've seen a lot that I'll get these brilliant papers and someone has no idea how smart they are. I mean, none. And they say to really? me, oh, um, you know, I know I'm not that smart. Like, what are no. you talking about? This is so intuitive. This is so smart. This is so creative. Yes, you could be a writer or yes, you could be a scholar or, or a TV writer or whatever it is you want to write. But I think it's very easy for people to get kind of stifled and, and believe people who say they're not smart or mm -hmm. believe that it's too hard. But, you know, like if you look at any of the books we've been talking about, like any one of those writers could have thought I'm too... I'll never get published, right? Yeah. I, um, the stories in my head are about minotaurs. Yeah. Who's going <laughs> to want to read that? Oh, well, let me just say, you know, that's a bestseller right there. I just talked three of my friends who are academics into reading Morning Glory. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see what they think. They're not. I love it. Like, <laughs> we were all to dinner and they were like, well, it's kind of like your friends. They were like, we were talking about sex positivity and, and mm -hmm. feminist scholarship. And I, and Sometimes I get so annoyed because scholars, even scholars I adore and love who write literature, um, don't know about, so they say, oh, it's not a sex positive moment. And I'm like, you are ignoring like this enormous reservoir of sex positivity that embraces, you know, um, well, all, all the dragons where there's three guys and one woman and, you know, all these yeah. books that are out there. These just amazing sort of, sort of niches, the magic mm -hmm. castles that all have reverse um, reverse harems. Like that's such a weird little subgenre, you know? Oh yeah. And there's something no and that, that covers so much ground because that means that there is something for everybody out there, you know, diversely and not just as far as like race goes, but like who, who would, I mean, like you were saying, who would have thought, yes, minotaurs, insect people you know like the, i mean somebody is going to want to ice read planet it. barbarians yeah. like Wait. who would have thought i don't know i still remember i was in a book signing with sarah mclean and she and i were surrounded by people and she she looked at me and she was like you haven't read the blue aliens with the ripped fetus i was like no <laughs> and all these women were like what <laughs> and i went home and i don't know i read like 20 of them the next day <laughs> so they were i'm on the second series <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've read those. And now I've read the dragon ones, and you know, those, those, are, those are great books. She's those got it covered. <laughs> those are good, and um, now they're in print too, so it's nice. I'm glad yeah. to see that they made that leap. Mm -hmm. So I fell in love with your "Lady Most Willing, Lady Most Likely" books uh, a long time ago, and so you in, seem to enjoy anthologies. What is something? Why do you? enjoy that so much like it seems like it'd be hard as a full-length novelist to like constrain yourself to that mm -hmm. or to have these stories that are terribly interwoven with other stories that is just about friendship i mean that's what it is um julia and connie are two two of my best friends and you know that was so much fun lady most likely we went to new orleans right lady most willing we went to seattle and we stayed in a hotel and we hung out together when we wrote the parts we write separately all day and then come back in for cocktail hour and read stuff aloud and edit it and then we all edit our own books and and lady most likely and lady most willing really are you know novels 
in three parts, yeah. as they say. This is more of a classic anthology, but mm -hmm. at the same time, it is writing is is a very sort of solitary business. You know, I I talk all the time to Lisa Klepus, who's my my uh, closest writer friend, and so we're constantly talking plots. Why don't you do this? Or why don't you do that? You know, like like really when we're both into it every day. But it's it's not the same as working on the same book, you know? That's true, yeah. Our last books, Lisa and I ended up uh, dedicating the books to each other without even noticing, <laughs> without having the idea the other person was. So I got her last book and she's got mine. But <laughs> because I, I put a lot into that book, she put a lot into mine. But here, our stories wove organically together. Mm -hmm. And then the first person to see them as opposed to our agent was you know, friends, each other. That yeah. was fun. I mean, I, I thought I gave Jana and Erica an absolutely brilliant book. And then they were like, well, this, well, that, well, the other thing. And, and they made it much better. So, but that's that what friends are for, especially writer, brilliant writer friends. So yeah. Are you guys writers <laughs> at all? Oh gosh. Only, only in the most aspiring sense at the moment. Up here. <laughs> I know my husband keeps telling me because he see you know he sees me curled up on the couch every night reading these books and he's like you should write one I was like I can't write this I there's no way Katie I never took a creative writing class never not one not not a single one I mean what I did was I just I got a bunch of books that I I knew sold really well and I just went through them and I figured out why do I think this book sold so much like what's the hook and then how are they paced and then I just roll my own and, and it's all important pleasures because i mean you could you know that's the same you could say the same of today now you know you want to write things that are funny and things that are happy and that's yeah. fortunately enough a lot of romance has you know happiness at the end you know it's supposed to that's the the caveat there but yeah because i mean and that's the thing too is like i told my friends i was like well now that you guys all know i was like i'm gonna write all of your love stories and they're like don't you dare <laughs> I was like come on it'll be fun I'll, I'll make some stuff up I'll you know I'll keep your names private or whatever but that's that's always something that I've always personally thought about because I'm like those are the ones that I know those are the real ones and they're always very funny too <laughs> real life love stories I, I don't know <laughs> that looks like a loss waiting to happen to me but I, I after a life in this business I can tell you it can get dicey sometimes, but you know what you oh, should yeah. do? You should start writing a romance and just send around one chapter to all your friends and see what they think should happen next. I could do that. Low stakes and fun. I know? was like, yeah, and very like small commitment, not having to worry yeah, about it yeah, too much. Yeah. You just write one chapter and see what everyone says, write another chapter. It sounds like you're- Do you write in order? Do you like make a plan and then write in order or do you like I don't to make skip a plan. around? I don't make a plan. Yeah, I don't make a plan. <laughs> if I make a plan, then you're less creative, right? Because the whole thing about a romance is that you're trying to make the reader believe that it won't end happily. That's where the pleasure is, even though she knows it's going to end happily. Mm -hmm. So it's if there. you know exactly how it's going to go, I think from my point of view, that ends up in the less creative one because the creativity in romance is... is um, it's in the reactions, it's in the mood, it's in the feelings, it's in it's in the weird little creative emotion stuff that comes up. Less, in my case, because I write in historical frame, then it's going to be in, um, you know, she's going to have a gown on. They're going to go dancing, right? 
So I have more fun, like in the, there's one wild book in Will, which the heroine is wearing a cork bum, which is the thing that, you know, that made your dress swell on the back. Yeah. And to have her fall into the, the swamp and the bog and have the cork bum keep her afloat. <laughs> me, that took a long time to think out because you don't want to, you don't want to focus on a historical detail unless there's some reason for it. Right. That's true. Otherwise, it's just stupid wallpaper that people are like skipping through trying to get to the sex scene. It's funny and it's historical and they learn something at the same time. <laughs> That's what makes it historical. <laughs> That's so true. I never even really thought about it like that because, I mean, when you're reading a, a historical novel, it's just kind of like you're, you're kind of there are certain motions you have to go through just to kind of really set the whole landscape and, you know, let the reader fill in the blanks with their imagination and stuff. But then there's, there's so much that you don't know about for back then, you know, we weren't living it. So, you know, to read that kind of stuff is always, I, I love that though, the the kind of history lesson plus humor with it, like in terms, like in marrying them together to really add to the, to the whole story. Yeah, it's not easy though, I can tell you. Because it's very easy to overbalance the wrong way. And suddenly you're like, she was looking through the rippled glass, you know, window that and it's like no one cares what kind of window she's looking through. You know, what she's looking through a window. What what is she looking at? Yeah, Yeah, just just say, Oh my god, there's a policeman out there, right? (laughs) It's really easy with historical to fall into showing people, you know, telling them exactly what happened as opposed to showing them. So something I always have to pull myself back on. I'm sure that that part's pretty hard because you want to be able to set enough of the scene without setting up too much of it, you know? <laughs> right. So that's why you stick to like a detail, like the cork bum. Yeah. Because you could spend some time setting that up and the reader's like, oh, that's kind of a cool detail. And then later it's meaningful. Yes. So or I wrote um, Affair Before Christmas, which is my only Christmas book before this one. Mm-hmm. And that has a lot to do with the huge wigs that they wore in the Georgian period. And, you know, the, the wig, her wig and her, her, her reaction to those wigs is integral to the crucial part of the story. But she doesn't know that in the beginning. Of so. course. I don't really know. <laughs> do you have a favorite character you've written? Or are they all special in different ways? Yeah, they're all special in different ways. I would say the ones who I stay with the longest, right? Um, so, so Villiers, who goes through all of Desperate Duchesses, I'm extraordinarily fond of him. Esme, who goes through Duchess in Love. Um, the Wild family, I, I, did, I didn't carry one thread quite as much because I have a feeling, I just have this feeling right now that... Um, Right at the moment, we're we're looking for books we can pick up and we don't have to have known what came before, mm-hmm. right? We want to just pick it up. And like, if it's number three, like I, I see myself, Amazon offers me things and it says number five in the series and my heart just sinks. I'm like, oh, I can't <laughs> back and read one through four. So the whole idea with the wilds was to make it stand out. So, the, so, you know, I'm very fond of all the characters. I love them all. I love Cressy, you know, I love Elias in here, but... But oh my God, they're so cute. I, I didn't get to have four books with them, so. But it was just a, a good enough morsel, and you know, you feel satisfied at the end. So, Thank you. I mean, so. couldn't they? Couldn't they just come back as parents with beautiful French children with beautiful blonde hair? I'm just saying. I read that. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no yeah. pressure, but I would read that. 
no pressure. Did you guys read a book called My American Duchess? Mm -mm. Sounds familiar. You might want to read that one. Okay. Because it's a one-off and like, I, decided I have it. I want to carry some of the characters forward. So oh, okay. they will appear in my next book, 10 years along. And there's a great scene with children, which is fun. So Yay. I yeah, did it I have it here. Of it. Like, That's what my PBR needs is always more books. Yes. I mean, always more. Correct. <laughs> always more. Yeah. Well, anyway. my, that was the, my, my introduction even to Georgian was one of your books and I had never read anything like that before. Cause I, I was still, I I've been only reading romance for a couple of years. So I was like, wait, wigs, we're talking about wigs. <laughs> like that totally like, and then I had to Google everything and I was like, oh, all right. So this, all right, cool. I can put the pieces together here. Marie Antoinette. Yeah. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's, and that's really like, that's pretty much what came up as soon as I Googled it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, all right. I'm tracking here. I'm tracking. It's Jane Austen <laughs> on one side and Marie Antoinette on the other. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for visiting with us. Is there anything else you would like to leave us with? We've had an absolute blast having yes. you here. Thank you. It was lovely. Uh, you guys are really fun to be with. I guess I would just say, um, you know, Please pick up Mistletoe Christmas, and if you if you like it, or even if you don't, I would love to hear from people either on TikTok or Instagram or, you know, Facebook or Eloisa at eloisajames.com. So I'd love to hear from readers. Thanks so much. Thank you guys so much. Have a great night. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. Now. Thank you to Duchess and Lady. Um, for that wonderful interview with Eloisa James. I'm so excited for them that they got to mm -hmm. chat with her. Yes. Like that's she, a, that's a big, a big get, thing. Yeah. A big um, I would consider her one of the queens of historical romance. So to have the opportunity to chit chat with her is, uh, pretty amazing. Um, you as the listener, if you are enjoying these special episodes of the podcast of Corset and Crown, please consider joining us on Patreon so that we continue to bring you more Corset and Crown editions of the Buzzing About Romance podcast. Okay, this is like what? Our third week with it Book is of the Week? our third week because we decided to change it up a little bit because we all were getting sick of me listing books that are coming out. I don't know right. about you, but... We, I was getting sick of you listening to me list books. Well, and it's also time consuming to dig through, you know, we weren't just getting them sent to us. Like we had to go digging for that. And mm -hmm. um, it took a lot of time, time that we could be reading and finding books that we could be promoting for you to, to read. Mm -hmm. um, yes. So instead of wait, doing our list, go ahead. We, Becky and I are doing a segment called book of the week. So each week we tell you about one of our standout books because you know us like there's usually more than one but so one of the standouts that we read for the week and why we think you should read it it is also week two of me asking for an echo saying book of the week book of imagine the week. it's an echo book of, week. book of the week book of the week right be your echo <sighs> maybe the production guy maybe we'll make it a goal if we can reach so many patreons <laughs> The production we'll guy will give echoes? me an echo. I don't know. <laughs> Is he shaking his head now? Not yet. I think he's ignoring us. Okay. Why would he do such a thing? Right? 
We make okay, a lot so of what sense. Is, what is your book of the week this week? Okay, so I, I my book of the week is Layla Hagen's Promise Me Forever. Um, Layla Hagen writes an amazing family series. And so, you know, we're getting into the holidays and family is going to be a big deal November, December. If you like family romance and have not yet re read Layla Hagen, I cannot say enough great things. She has the Bennett family. They're high-end jewelry designers. Um, then there's the Connor family, who are the cousins to the Bennetts. Um, they are just amazing people. They own a cosmetic company and a professional soccer team in Los Angeles. And then there's the Gallaghers in New York. So this time, it's the Maxwell brothers in Chicago, and it's seven brothers and two female cousins. Um, and this is book one of the new series. So like, it's just starting to come out. Uh, this book releases on Tuesday, October 19th. I gave it a five out of five. Um, it pops at 41% in nice. tropes, big city billionaire. He's definitely a book boyfriend, close proximity, family series, instant attraction, nanny romance. Oh, that's like your crack single dad he's a total stern brunch daddy and he owns oh, a winery and wine label like a massive conglomerate winery um these are all things that i like a lot this book is so so good so good it's on um, my uh my book it list from now on then Layla Hagen, I'm telling you right now, this book. I know you keep telling me I need to read her and I haven't read her yet because she has a really big backlist and I'm, I can't go down that rabbit hole. She does. Now, I know you don't love <laughs> audiobooks, but her Bennett family audiobooks, Sebastian York reads a ton of them. Oh, really? Yeah. And he's like ear candy. Ugh. Anyway. That's what anyway. I hear, but I, I can't do the audio. But so. Leo, what's my your Book of the week, week. Book of the week, 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 week. Okay, so I went down the Bryn Asher Killers um, rabbit hole again. I've been down it before. Um, I had to go down again because I did a quick shot with Rachel for book one. And of course I just couldn't stop because I was like, oh, I love these books. Like, and it just made me remember like how much I love them. And plus October is anti-hero month. So I was prepping for that. And he, she writes a great anti-hero. So. I'm reading Paths by Bryn Asher. Actually, just the entire Killer series as a whole could be my book of the week because I don't, I don't have a lot of time to read anymore because that pesky job, which I love. But so this series, like this book, which was book two, was released in 2017. So it's a few years old. Um, but the put out percentage when it pops um, is 44%, but it is a down and dirty dream. And it is, it's a good one. Nice. So good. Nice. Yeah. So the, there's a damaged hero, like the heroine has run away from her old life. They live next to each other. Like he's a protector and. You do yes. like your protector romances. I do like my protector romances, but he's, he's a good anti-hero and like an alpha and oh hot damn so real quick before sexy. we get before we get into our next thing i want to briefly i don't know if we ever actually talked about pop here on a regular episode we talk about it in yes, our 
We talk about it in shots. our quick shots, um, but if you're just a listener to our regular episodes, you might not know what our pop is. Yeah. So I did just recently in the last week, put up an article on our website about pop and what it is. So you can get details there, but Leah, tell everybody what is pop? Pop is the put out percentage. So we have had discussions about steamy books and what classifies steamy and since steam in a book is so arbitrary and it changes from person to person becky decided that she was going to start categorizing when the put out percentage happens in a book and that is basically when there is some really really sexy times in the book now it can vary from book to book like my past book it is a super dirty dream and it works becky said that she read a book earlier this week where it was a really really hot dry humping scene yeah. So again, the put out percentage can be like arbitrary. But it's like but when it's kind of like that moment within happening. a relationship that we know it's going physical. Yes. Um, it's also a way I know that I have trust issues when it comes to a, some of the traditional published books that they'll go closed door or fade to black. Mm-hmm. Um, and this by saying pop, if it's a fade to black, we're giving it a negative number. We're going to tell you, you know, this pops closed door this yes. pop fades to black um, this pop is 97 <laughs> percent. we're not talking about that i still have trust issues um because again i have a high tolerance for the smutty mm-hmm. somebody else might not so right. that is what pop is if you want to list of books and kind of where we put our pop percentages at again you can find that on our website and we also include that in all of our reviews now. Mm-hmm. So we if do. you go looking for our review of Promise Me Forever, I'm going to list for you my rating, the series it's in, the pop, and the tropes. Yes. We used to give you a steam rating, like a one out of five, three out of five, five out of five. But the more we talked about it with all of our Patreons and members of our hive, like everybody's steam ex- expectation is different. So we just as a, a group we're like we always talk about like when like the action on page is happening and then becky's like let's start labeling the percentages yeah and um, thus the pop was born it was actually rachel she's like do you always look at what percentage a book is when they're finally doing it and i'm like yeah doesn't everyone she's and rachel was like not until i met you but now i do <laughs> every time and i'm like okay awesome you're welcome <laughs> okay Upcoming events. We are hosting our first Evel ever. Evel. Evel. Evel? First Evel. We're hosting our first Evel ever <laughs> virtual <laughs> Halloween party. Um, have you been taking part? If you've been taking part in our year-long reading challenge for October's check-in, we thought that we would host our first ever books, brews, and booze. Um, you can buy, find details on how to join us on our website. Um, if you would like to join us and we're going to have prizes and games and all sorts of just going to be a lot of spooky fun. fun. So much fun. Um, coming costume. There might be prizes. Yeah. Okay. So did you know that you can support the podcast by buying books and all your amazing stuff via our affiliate link? Um, our link Our Amazon affiliate link is accessible through our website, and we're working on putting together the ultimate bookworm storefront. 
and this will be an easy way to give hints and clues to your significant other on some of the things you might like this holiday season. Also, each week we provide a list of on-sale books or free books. Um, you can always get those from us too. And this is usually published Saturday and Sunday, but every once in a while, like we'll get a There's random a like there's a midweek sale that like you just can't miss. So we always let you know about it. Um, so make sure you check that out and you can always find our daily sales on our discord server or our Facebook group. So if you're not part of those and you want to be, let us know and we can get you hooked up. Yep. And we can help you uh, save money with books that are on sale and free. Yes. And there's some because good ones right now that are out there. We all sale. know our book habits are not always cheap. They're not. Okay, so next time, mm -hmm. Leah and I are talking heroes. We Pick are. of the heroes. Um, we are talking all the types that are out there. We often talk about loving different types of heroes, but not everyone realizes all the different archetypes for heroes that there are. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to talk about which characteristics we use to classify a hero. And of course, we will have some book recs so that you can check out some of our favorite heroes. Yes. So you know what this means, guys, if we're doing an episode on heroes, we will be doing an episode on heroines as well, right? because you cannot have one without the other. We must provide but balance. If you've heard us talk about the stern brunch daddy and you're not quite sure what we mean, this is the episode to listen to because we will explain to you what a stern brunch daddy is. And Becky and I are new to the stern brunch daddy. Well, term. and actually a year ago, I think it was like November, December. I had no clue what a cinnamon roll hero was. It was a relatively newer term and everybody kept mm -hmm. saying it. I'm like, does he have frosting? <laughs> I, I mean, mean, is he sometimes. warm and cuddly? Cause like I would cuddle <laughs> a cinnamon roll. I had to ask and I feel sometimes I feel stupid asking like something I maybe should have known, but I think it's a newer term that not everybody is aware of. Well, what a cinnamon the term brunch is. daddy is definitely like in the newer realm too, but there are a lot and they there are, are awesome. a lot of stern brunch daddies. So um, everybody tune in next time when mm -hmm. Lee and I give Talk you the pick heroes. of the heroes. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's exciting. Um, until next time, everyone. Happy reading, everybody. Find us on Instagram at Buzzing About Romance or on Twitter at Buzzing Romance. If you like the podcast, please leave a review. If you'd like to support us directly, join the Bookcase and Coffee Patreon and receive exclusive content only available to Patreon members. Check out bookcaseandcoffee.com for our on-the-shelf show notes.